Thank you, Jesse, for leading the music today, and Miss Alice for playing the piano. It's beautiful, as always. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a, another day of life that you've given for all of us, and it's such a wonderful harmony that's in this room today. Lord, that you would guide my tongue, that you would forgive the sin of my life, that your word would not be hindered, and that we would bring glory to your throne today as we look into your word. And that you would bless all the souls that are here today. And Jesus, thank you for going to the cross, for dying for the sins that we have all committed and the wrath that is due us. And Holy Spirit, be with us, that you would dwell in us and enrich us more with your bountiful love. We love you, God. Amen. If you recall, last week we were looking at two verses from the Sermon on the Mount from this same chapter, chapter 7. They were verses 13 and 14, which deal with the straight gate and the narrow way. And Jesus, of course, is the straight gate and the narrow way, which leads unto life. Today, we're going to continue in that same passage from Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at the six verses, Matthew 7, 15 through 7:20, which Jesse just read to us. This is dealing with a topic as an outline the handout is entitled, False Prophets Are Wolves in Sheep's Clothing. And in today's society, there are many false preachers that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, has labeled as wolves in sheep's clothing. So let's look at that first verse, Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. We see a couple of things here that Jesus is telling us to do. First off, he's saying, beware. How many of you have ever gone to maybe somebody's home for the first time, and you're walking up to the front door, and there's a gate that says, beware of dog? <laughs> yes, that will put you a little, bit, a little bit anxious. What kind of a dog do they have? Is it really a little puppy dog, and they're joking with you? Or is it a Rottweiler or some big, ferocious dog? Well, Jesus in this verse says, beware of false prophets. So that really begs the question, what is a false prophet? So I went to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it says, a true prophet is one who utters divinely inspired revelations, one who foretells future events, one who is an effective spokesman for a cause, a doctrine, or a group. Now that's a true prophet. And in Jesus' As he was laying out the Bible in the Old Testament, if a prophet prophesied and it didn't come true, they were prophesying with a potential death sentence. They could be taken out in stone because a prophet, if his prophecies didn't come true, was considered a false prophet. Here it says one who utters divinely inspired revelations or foretells the future events. Now, of course, only God knows the future, so only God can give this information to a prophet, and if he does tell the future accurately, then he is a true prophet of God. A false prophet, on the other hand, is one who assumes an office without a call or an unction from God. When we study the Bible, Second Peter and Titus, and there's some other verses in the Bible, they really zero in and define what a false prophet is. And false prophets typically fall into one of two camps. They're either very much into the world, lusts of all the types of the flesh, or 
they have a strong desire for money. And many of these false prophets are doing both. They have one foot camped in the world and the other foot camped in money. So let's look a little bit more closely at this. Again, what is a wolf? In nature, a wolf, they run in packs and they are ravenous. As Jesus said, they're ravenous wolves. A wolf is one of only a few animals that will kill for pleasure. Most animals hunt when they're hungry, like a lion, for example. But wolves, they will kill just for the sake of killing. And perhaps that's why Jesus uses the example of ravening wolves for false prophets. Another very interesting telltale, when Jesus spoke several times about wolves in sheep's clothing, he never said that they become saved. Never once does he mention that. In fact, he says in certain instances they're created for his wrath. All of us in this room that are saved, we started out as a goat that became a sheep. At the judgment day, Jesus is going to separate the goats from the sheep. Also, all of us, because we're born under Adam's nature of sin, before we became saved, we were a tear. But when we became saved, we became a wheat. Jesus will separate the tares from the wheat at the judgment seat. Here he never talks about a, a wolf becoming a convert, which is a very interesting point. Let's look at Jeremiah 23, 16 on the first page. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. Jeremiah lived approximately 700 years before Jesus was born. And he was in a time of great apostasy in the nation of Israel. And he's pointing out that these leaders of the Jewish nation at that time, they were evil. And he said, they make you vain. In God's eyes, people that are vain, people that are filled with pride, people that live a life of vanity, which is uselessness in God's eyes, God is saying, stay away from that type of person. Jeremiah also goes on to say, they speak a vision of their own heart. A true prophet reveals what God has given him to speak. But a false prophet, because he has selfish motives in mind, is sharing his own heart. And they're not speaking the mouth of the Lord. Luke 6.26, this is again speaking to the leaders. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Many people lift up these false prophets and they give them platforms. Many of the TV ministries, these are false prophets. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And they have platforms in some cases that are worldwide. And when they do these money-raising um, marathons, they raise literally millions of dollars. And most of that is selfishly oriented. There was one time several years ago where one of these false prophets said, I need to have $60 million so I can buy a private jet to serve the Lord. Second Peter 2.1 But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
Here we see that a false prophet is somebody who privily, privily means privately, secretly, that they bring in damnable heresy. A heresy is when you take a, a true doctrine of God and you twist it and it becomes false. For example, Jehovah Witnesses, they do not say Jesus is God. They deny Jesus' deity. That is a false heresy. It's almost taking a pure, clean glass full of cold water and taking one drop of arsenic and putting it in there. The water still looks very tasty to drink on, especially on a hot day. But if you drank it, it would be deadly. And that's what these false prophets, these wolves in sheep's clothing do to us. And it says, even denying the Lord that bought them. How did Jesus buy us? With his blood that he shed on Calvary. We are purchased with a great price. And it says these false prophets, they even deny the Lord that bought them. And it says that this verse ends, they bring upon themselves swift destruction. One second after they die, their soul is in hell. That's swift destruction. Even if they live 60, 70, 80, or 90 years, that is swift destruction. Especially in the time frame of eternity. Let's look at the second page. 2 Peter 2.2 2. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. In today's world, many people call good evil and they call evil good. This verse is saying by reason of whom the truth shall be evil spoken of. Pernicious, that's a big word. I actually didn't know the meaning of that so again I went to the dictionary. Pernicious means having a harmful effect, especially in a gradual or subtle way. Many false prophets, they speak much truth when they're talking to you, but they have a few bad seeds of untruth, and that's how they deceive the masses. Our pastor up in Northern Virginia, he said, and I probably said this before, if you're going to take a trip to the sun, 93 million miles away, and you were off one degree, you would miss it by millions of miles. It's the same thing with salvation. You can have one bad seed of heresy that you cling to, and it can take you down to hell. And these false teachers, they're serving Satan. They're getting a rich reward in this life, but ultimately their soul will go into perdition. 2 Peter 2.10 But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. So here we see the first point. Most false teachers are in it for worldly things. That's why you read many times these big televangelists, they fall into sexual sin. This verse says here, chiefly they walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. That's all forms of adultery and fornication, lasciviousness. And it says, despise government. God gives us a government to rule the society. And many times these people are rebellious. 
But in the spirit world, they will go as far as look at a person and say, I say in the name of Jesus, cast out that demon. The archangel, when he was fighting with the devil over Moses' body, he didn't rebuke Satan. He said, let the Lord rebuke you. And yet here's a man on the earth who's not even a believer calling on the name of Jesus to rebuke a demon? They're walking on very thin ice. This verse says they despise government. And it says they're presumptuous. That is very presumptuous to think you can have Jesus respond to your beck and call when you're on your way to hell. 2 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Angels which are greater than us. There's a story in the Old Testament where the Assyrian army had surrounded the nation of Israel. And God sent one angel at nighttime. And he killed 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers. One angel. This verse says, Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Not even the angels will speak out of, out of turn because they have a good order. Look at the next part of this verse. But these are natural brute beasts. That's what God considers a false prophet, a brute beast. In our minds, a brute beast is like a horse. They're not very intelligent. They're strong, self-willed, but they're not really intelligent animals. And it says, they're made to be taken and destroyed. That's what God says with these false prophets. They're made to be taken and destroyed. They speak evil of the things which they understand not. When they're trying to cast out a demon, they don't understand what they're doing. And they shall utterly perish in their own corruption. All sin results in corruption. The wages of sin is death. And because they don't have any of Jesus' blood atoning for their sins, it says they will perish in hell in their own corruption. Let's look at the second point. Deceitful gospels of the false prophets. What are some of the deceitful gospels that we hear today? How about easy believism? You just heard the message. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Yes. Do you believe he died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe there's a hell? Yes. Do you want to go to heaven? Yes. Call in the name of Jesus and you're saved. I call in the name of Jesus. Now write that in your Bible. Today... This is the day you got saved. And when you're under conviction of sin in the future, that's the devil saying, are you really saved? You just pull out your Bible and get, yes, I was saved in that day. Easy believism is your best life today. It rejects, take up your cross and follow me, which Jesus said we have to do. Easy believism never puts you under conviction of your sins. You never have a, a, a godly sorrow, which comes from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit. For your sins. Easy believism is sending millions of souls to hell. What about you don't need to repent to be saved? That's a false gospel. If you believe on Jesus, you don't need to repent. Repentance is works of your flesh. God says, not by works of righteousness which you have done. What they do is they take and they twist the perfection of scripture and they make it into a lie. 
They have this spirit of deceit and guile. You need to repent of your sins. Jesus, his first message was, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need to repent. Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. Matthew 7, 16, you shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So grapes and figs, those are delightful to eat. They're tasty, they're juicy, delicious. Thistles, on the other hand, and thorns, they're not anything to be fun. In, in Virginia, if you let a thistle grow, it'll get two, three, four feet high with nasty, prickly needles sticking out of them. And thorn bushes, they're no fun to be around if you're gardening. You need to put on gloves. Now, do you see where Jesus is making the distinction? Christians, full of the Holy Spirit, they have things that are beneficial to you and that are healthy to your spirit. On the other hand, people that are lost, that are in evil, to your spiritual condition, it's like prickly thistle bushes and thorns. Stay away from that. 2 Corinthians 11.13 For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. A few years ago, well, it's probably more than that. It's like 15 years ago when some of my boys were little, Jesse, do you remember the Transformers? Did you ever have a Transformer when you were a kid? Okay, so you got like a car, and you play around with it, and all of a sudden you got like a robot, right? Okay, so Transformers, the kids, the boys especially, they're into Transformers when they're little. They're about five, six, and seven. They all have Transformers. A Transformer takes a toy from one thing, and it transforms it into a different type of toy. Isn't this interesting that God says false prophets, false apostles, transform themselves into apostles of Christ? Today, there really are no new apostles. And yet, many of these false preachers, they say, I'm an apostle from God. Because the definition of apostle is somebody who spent time with the Lord. How could they spend time personally with the Lord? And yet, they claim to be an apostle. And it says they transform themselves into apostles of Christ. That's a false prophet. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Isn't that interesting? The dark angel himself, Satan, the deceiver, the father of all lies, the lion that roareth about seeking whom he can devour. This same Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So here we have these false prophets. They're evil, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, and they transform themselves into apostles of Christ preaching righteousness. As a Christian, we need discernment. You see how difficult it is to look at that glass of water with one drop of arsenic and not know it's pure? That it's, not, that it's not deadly? We need to have our spiritual eyes and discernment with only what the Holy Spirit can give us. Because in the flesh, we also will be led into deceit and away from the Lord. 2 Peter 1, 20, 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is any of private interpretation. How many times do false prophets say, you know, 
Last night, the Lord spoke to me. The Lord gave me new insights into the Bible. And I'm going to reveal it today to you. Please send in a donation. That's the way it goes. And it seems a little bit silly, doesn't it? And we chuckle. But that's the way the false prophets work. And it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It isn't the will of man that penned the scriptures. But holy men, holy men that were close to the Lord, of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. All 66 books of the Bible, 27 in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament, every word in that Bible is inerrant, it's complete, and it's perfect because the Holy Spirit led men of old to write these Bible books. And we have that as assurance. The Bible is complete. There's going to be no new revelations until Jesus comes back. What we need from the Bible, God has already given it to us. It's complete. All right, the third point today. A man's fruit is based upon the spiritual condition of his soul. If you're born again, you have access to all nine fruits of the Spirit. And if you're not saved, you have the fruits of the world, the fruits of the flesh. And they're all types of sin. And we'll look at this a little more closely. Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. In other words, a good tree only brings forth good fruit. And an evil tree only brings forth evil fruit. Now you might say, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm good fruit. And yet I sin. We all sin. I've sinned today probably many more times than I know that I've sinned. It's very easy in the flesh to sin. And yet, I didn't lose my salvation when I sinned. For example, if we were in an apple orchard and we see an apple tree, those apples aren't going to mysteriously transform into peaches. That apple is an apple. It will never be anything but an apple because God made it an apple. Now, if that apple drops on the ground, can that apple get a bruise? Yes, very, very, very often. And maybe if it sits in the weeds there for a couple of weeks or a month, some worm will come and burrow a hole in it. That bruised apple and that with the worm in it, it's still an apple. It didn't change into a peach. And during the winter, when the frost comes in the snow, and then the springtime rolls around, that apple's probably going to look like a nasty, shriveled up nothing. But if you really examine it, it's still an apple. No matter how much sin we do as Christians, we get bruised and we get the worms of sin going through us. And sometimes we shrivel up like prunes that are nasty, right? We're still human beings saved by God. And that's what this verse is teaching us. Let's look closely. Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. When you go to the courthouse, they don't have a law against love or joy or peace. There's lots of laws against speeding and murder and stealing. All those sins, they have laws against them. 
But there's no laws against the fruits of the Spirit. We have full access to them, each one of those fruits, when we become a Christian. Isaiah 56, 11. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own, everyone for his gain, from his quarter. How would you like to have God define you as a greedy dog? That's what God is defining them. These false prophets. They're only after filthy lucre for their own personal financial gain. Remember the two sins, the camps they fall into? Lust of the flesh or money? Here God is speaking to the false prophets that are going after money. They are greedy dogs which can never have enough. Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. The time is coming when these false prophets, God is going to allow Satan to give them power in the spiritual world to show great signs and wonders. And the lost are going to follow them. And it says, if it were possible, it's not possible, because once you're saved, you're always saved, but if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. That is an amazing verse. And that's a foretelling of what's around the corner. When you look at what's going on in the world today, you have to question, how soon are you coming, Lord? How soon? Let's go to the top of page 3. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all evil. That doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Many of the lost people in the world, money is their God. But unfortunately, many Christians put too much emphasis on material wealth. And in some respects, it becomes a false idol in their life. And Jesus is warning us here. He's saying, many have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Because when we chase money, how many men that you know in your lifetime, they were successful in their careers? You might even say they were addicted to their work. And their families fell apart. They had big homes, big cars, big retirement accounts, and then their marriage split up. Not that he didn't love his wife, but he loved his career more. When you really get down to it, he had his priorities out of, out of line. He didn't put God first, his wife first, his family, and then his job. It might have been God and his job, or maybe his job and God. He had the priorities misaligned. All right, let's look at Matthew seven eighteen. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. That's interesting. Again, it's almost like God is repeating this thought. He's underscoring the idea. A good tree cannot have evil fruit. And an evil tree cannot have good fruit. It's impossible. Many times we get caught in looking visually in our mind at the, spirit, at, the, at the physical world. You know, this apple tree will never have bananas or pears or peaches. But God is talking about the spirit world. 
He's saying in the spirit world, a Christian can never have an evil word. Not that we can't sin. We all sin. But all of our sin is under the blood. On the other side of the coin, somebody who's lost can never have an acceptable work of righteousness before God. No matter how much money they give to charity, no matter how many times they cut the neighbor's lawn for free, no matter how many times fill in the blank, they give hours at, at working charity at the hospital, nothing that they can do in the flesh will ever be acceptable to God. Let's look at Isaiah 64, 6. This verse teaches us this, this idea. But we are as all an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, not some of them, all of our righteousnesses, all of our works of goodness that we think are good in our eyes are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. That means we're all getting old. And our iniquities, our sins, like the wind, have taken us away. Just like all of those leaves outside on the tree that fall down to the ground, and then the winds of fall that turn into the cool breezes of winter, they blow those leaves away. And God says that's what our souls are without Christ. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf. Matthew 12, 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Okay, again in the spirit world, the good man, because we're converted, the works that we do, God, if they're for his righteousness and his kingdom, will reward at the Bema seat. It's out of the treasure of our heart because the Holy Spirit put those ideas. Jesse, you came here to serve the Lord. Miss Alice, you've been playing, I bet you've been playing the piano since you were a little girl, right? At least 80 years. How many rewards have you gotten in heaven? You're going to spend a million years just counting the rewards. God is good. Now, on the flip side of that, there's no evil person that can have an acceptable work of righteousness with God. That's what this verse says. An evil man out of the evil treasure, his heart is filled with evil treasures. And none of those treasures are acceptable to God. Not one. Acts 20, 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Take heed. That means pay attention. Listen up. And to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Here, Paul is speaking to the leaders of the church. These leaders were made the overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. We are purchased with a great price, the blood of Christ. Acts 20, 29, the next verse. For I know this, this is Paul speaking. For I know this, that after my departing, after I die, when I go back to heaven. I say back to heaven because he, the Lord took him up for three years in, in Arabia. When Paul was about to die, and I know this, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So he's warning these leaders right there in the first churches that were in existence. The wolves are at the door. Beware. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. There are several lists that list sins of the flesh. Here's one of them. It's a long list, by the way. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, 
lasciviousness. You notice he starts with all sins that are dealing with sexual impurity. Then he goes on to idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's not saying if you did one of those sins one or two or ten times. It's saying if you have a lifestyle of adultery, if you have a lifestyle of stealing, if you have a lifestyle, pick out any one of these, any one of these sins, envying people, those sins will send you into hell. It says, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's America today. We do not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall reap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned onto fables. A fable is like a little child story. It's a fairy tale. It doesn't have anything to do with reality. And it says these people, are, they have itchy ears for lies and deceit. They don't want the truth. They would rather be entertained with a false gospel that will send them to hell than to understand and to be under conviction for their sins. You know what it boils down to? People don't want to give up their sin. That's the bottom line of this deal with, with sinners. They say, you know what? Being a Christian, I got to give up my drinking. I got to give up my drugs. Yesterday I was at a juvenile retreat all day from 8 in the morning until 8 in Christiansburg at the juvenile jail. And we're sitting at the table and I was ministering to two boys all day long. And one of them, his name is Anthony. Please pray for him. He's been in juvenile jail four times already. And he's about to get out. And I said, you know, on Friday night I was at the Green Rock Jail, talking to men just like you, 10 years older than you, and there's a thousand of those men in that facility. You're going to be there unless you change. He's in there for drugs. He smokes marijuana. He says when he gets out, he's going to smoke marijuana every day. He's under a delusion from Satan. That's today's world. The kids are hooked in drugs. Terrible. And there was nothing I could say to convince him. And I didn't want to twist his arm. I told him the truth. I showed him where sorcery, the word in Greek is pharmakia. That's where we get our word drugs from. Pharmaceuticals, pharmacy. Drugs are a gateway into sorcery and demonism. And I said, well, what do you do when you're a high? Oh, I listen to music. That's, that's another thing. You're listening to this bad music that's all satanic. So not only are you high on drugs... Then you're listening to the music that Satan put into those ungodly people that write it. And Hollywood produces it. And they put it on TV and the radio and the internet and YouTube and you name it. It's out there. And it's being consumed by these kids. Alright, the last point for you here today. False prophets lead lost souls into hell. False prophets are leading these lost people. They will die in their sins and go to hell. Matthew 7.19 Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. 
several years ago, I, I planted apple trees and peach trees, and I did the whole thing in the, with the trees in my yard. But I have so many tall oak trees that they never produced any fruit. In the springtime, they would get little peaches, and then they'd fall off because there wasn't enough sunshine. You know what I did with those? I got my two sons, my youngest sons, Josiah and Justice. We got a chainsaw out, and we pulled those roots out, and I put a big bonfire in the backyard, and it burned them up. They were totally useless to me. Look what God says he's going to do with these useless trees that don't bear good fruit. They will be hewn down, just like I chainsawed mine down, and cast into the fire, just like the bonfire I had in my backyard. My bonfire went out. The next day, it was gone. Hell never goes out. It's everlasting fire. Numbers 16.33. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. Number 16 is a very interesting chapter. If you have time, read it this week. It's a story about Korah. And he had a, 250 of the princes of Israel. And they were looking at Moses. And by the way, Korah was a Levite. So he had priestly duties. And they were murmuring against Moses saying, Who gave you all the power? Why are you leading this nation? Why are you the top guy? And there was another guy named Datham and Abiram. Those are the three ringleaders. And Moses got angry at him. And he went to the Lord. And the next day he said to these guys, You bring your incense decanters. And I'll have Aaron bring his. We're going to let God choose which ones are acceptable in his sight. And then he says to all the people, there were literally thousands of people surrounding them, hundreds of thousands that witnessed this. And Moses said, back up. And they backed up. And the earth opened up and it swallowed all 250 of those people. And they fell into hell right in front of the nation of Israel. And it says the people ran in fear to their tents. All of us would run in fear. But do you know what happened the next day? They came to Moses and they were complaining and said, why did you allow this to happen to these leaders? These young princes. And God got so angry, he started immediately and started killing them. And 14,700 died. And it says Korah was offering strange fire. Strange fire is religious worship that is not acceptable to God. 14,700 plus 250, that's 14,950 people died before Aaron was able to take the lantern with the acceptable fire off of the sacrifices that were acceptable to God before God stopped the plague. In America today, we have our lanterns filled with unacceptable fire, with strange fire. And all of these false gospels that are being preached are offering strange fire to God. And it's totally unacceptable. Second Peter 2.3 and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, feigned words are fake words, lying words, deceitful words, guile, words of guile, with feigned words make merchandise of you. How would you like to be stuck on a shelf at Walmart and said, available for sale for $300? Oh, here's another one, available for sale for $2,000. You know that the souls of those people following false gospels, false preachers, God says, they're making merchandise of you. We're better than that, guys. 
We're children of God when we're saved. We're not merchandise to be bought and sold and end up in hell. And it says about these false preachers, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbers not. As soon as these false prophets die, they're in hell. Let's look at the last page. Jude 1.4. This is very interesting. Because, remember, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about a wolf being converted and becoming saved. For there are certain men crept in unawares. They creep in like a snake slithering in. They creep in unawares who were before of old. Do you know what before of old means? When the Bible says of old, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. 6,000 years ago. And it says before of old. Before God made the heavens and the earth. Before any creation, before of old, ordained to this condemnation. We send out missionaries, we ordain them, and, and the ordination is a mission to go reach souls lost for Christ. We ordain preachers. When you ordain somebody, you give them an unction, you give them a mission, something to accomplish. God ordained these wolves in sheep's clothing before the foundations of time. To condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, this is one of the verses that talks about Jesus being God. Let me repeat that. Only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. There are many people that preach a false gospel and say Jesus is not God. He's the Son of God. He's the God, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit all in one. He's God made in the flesh. And he was a little baby, and he came and dwelt with us. And when his mama was feeding him and changing his diaper, he was still holding the universe together. Romans 9, 21 to 23. Some people will say, well, why would God preordain somebody as a vessel for destruction? Are we to ask God why he does what he does? God's ways are above our ways. Here, Romans 9, 21 to 23 explains this. Has not the potter power over the clay? How many of you had pottery classes? My mom did that one time, and she made lots of things in pottery class. Well, when you've got that clay on the spindle, you can shape it any way you want. And aren't we just vessels of clay? God says, has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one a vessel unto honor? And another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath, he's willing to show his wrath through these men. God's wrath is upon these men. They're reaping wrath against the day of wrath. Let's continue. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Sometimes we say, why does God put up with the sin in the world? But God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to righteousness, that all would come into salvation. For God so loved the world. It says, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he has afore prepared unto glory. If you're saved today, you're a, you're a vessel of mercy. And it says, which he also afore, way before Adam and Eve, way before the heavens and earth, at the beginning, we, because God goes forever into eternity, we don't know when 
He fitted us as a vessel of mercy prepared unto glory. But one day as a Christian, you will go to God in heaven and he will use us for eternity for his glory. And what an awesome day that will be. Jude 1.11, woe unto them. When it starts out, woe unto them, these people ought to be paying attention, these false prophets. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? Remember Cain and Abel came to God with, with their offerings? Cain had all the nice plants of the field. They were wonderful plants, except he was offering that through his own work. He was doing a religion. He had a work of righteousness which was unacceptable. Abel offered the blood sacrifice, a picture of Jesus going to the cross. Abel's offering was acceptable. So it says, for they have gone the way of Cain, religion versus true, true Christ on the cross, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam. We know the story about Balaam and the donkey that talked. But Balaam was hired by Balak, one of the kings, the enemies of Israel, and he said, hey, Balaam, you're a prophet. I want you to curse the people of Israel. And Balaam ignored it because he knew he couldn't curse the people of Israel. So Balak sent some another group of men and they offered him a lot more money. And Balaam, was, his sin was, he was greedy. He wanted money. And he's thinking, hmm, how can I get this money? And he came up with an idea. Probably Satan put it in his mind. And he went to Balak and he says, you know what? This is how God will curse Israel. You have your men marry their daughters. And then you have your daughters marry their men. And in a couple generations, they're going to start to worship the idols and they're going to move away from Jehovah. And God will get so angry, he will curse the nation. And that's exactly what happened. That's wicked. Balaam sold the nation of Israel for money. And then he was killed in the battle. And he's in hell. God spoke to him numerous times. He had a fellowship with the Lord, but it was not true salvation. He knew God, but God didn't know him as a child. And then it says, and perishing the gainsaying of Korah. We just talked about Korah and how he was swallowed up by the earth. All right, Jude 1, 1 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity. How many times have you ladies gotten something back from the cleaners? And then you're ready to put it on, but there's a spot. And you're not going to wear it, right? When I stuck my pen in my, my shirt and I didn't have the cap on, and it left a big ink spot, and I, I didn't notice it until the end of the day. You can't use that shirt. You can't get that big spot of ink out of your shirt. Well, these false prophets, they're spots in God's feasts of charity. Another word for charity is love. These people don't want to have any godly love in them. All that they got is hatred for God. And it says, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. They don't fear God. You know, the beginning of wisdom is fearing God. That's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They have no fear of God in them. And it says they're clouds without water. A few years ago, it didn't rain all summer. Remember that year? And you're looking up in the sky, when is it going to rain, Lord? And sometimes the clouds would come over and it didn't rain. Remember that? It was, it was frustrating. Here, these are clouds without water. They have no blessing within them. And they're carried about with the winds, trees whose fruit withereth. And it says, without fruit, twice dead. See, these trees, their fruit withers in God's sight, and it's no good, and they have no offspring. If you don't get the seeds out of the fruit, you will have no offspring. They have no offspring in the kingdom of God. None. 
Zero. And they're twice dead. Why are they twice dead? They die once physically, and then they die at the great white throne, the second death, where they're cast into the lake of fire. So they're twice dead, and they're plucked up by the roots. God will, just like my sons and I pulled out the roots of those fruit trees that didn't bear, we pulled the roots out. We didn't want anything left, and we filled them in with good dirt. God says they're plucked up by the roots. Revelation 22, 18. Now, do these people add and take away from the Bible? Certainly they do. Here's a warning. For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. I wouldn't want any of those plagues. So don't add to the Bible. Now, what happens if they take it away? Look what 22.19. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Every Christian that goes to heaven, his name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says, For whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And God says, No false prophet will have his book if they add or subtract from the Bible. They will go to hell. And that's, that's an admonishment to us. We need to study and be Bereans because every verse only has one meaning. Every verse doesn't have five meanings. They have thousands of applications. But every verse has one meaning, and it's our job to find out what God is telling us in that verse. Okay, the last uh, of this passage, text verses, Matthew seven twenty. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. You know an apple tree because it has apples. You know a pear tree because it has pears. If you have discernment, you ought to know a false prophet because they have blasphemy and heresies as their fruits. Luke eleven thirty nine, And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. You know those preachers on TV? Did you ever see how fine their suits are? They have Rolex watches. They have fine jewelry. Their ties, $100 ties. They have the best of the world. That's not a blessing to God. It says they may clean the outside of the cup, but inside they're ravening and full of wickedness. Their spirit is dead before the Lord. 1 John 4.1 Beloved, believe not every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear. That's basically what God's saying. Don't believe everything you hear. But try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, how do you try a spirit? Well, the number one thing, for example, if you're talking to a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon, you could just ask him, is Jesus God? Did he come to the earth? Did he die on the cross? Was he resurrected on Easter Sunday morning to prove he's God? Here's how you test him. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. That's a good test. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. They're against Christ. They're against God. They're against his kingdom. Whether ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. This is John speaking in 90 AD. And the, the spirit of Antichrist was already there. He was already warning them. He was already giving them tests to prove the spirits.
2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. God knows how to deliver us from temptation. Let no man say when he is tempted, I have tempted of God, because God can tempt no man. We're tempted of our own lusts. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And he's also able to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. 2 Peter 3.17 Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. This isn't talking about falling from grace and losing your salvation. It's talking about losing your sanctification and your power with the Holy Spirit. If you start chasing... You know, there's that old saying, if you sleep with dogs, you get fleas, right? You start chasing heresies, and you're going to lose the power of God. How can you witness? How will the Holy Spirit use you as a witness if what you're coming out of your mouth with is a heresy? He's not. And it says, you will fall from your own steadfastness. And then the last verses today, Jude 1-3. Beloved, this is an admonition to us, and it's also an encouragement to us. Jude 1-3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, common not that it's of little importance, common that it's available to every person who's ever lived. It's not special just to some elite few. It's common to everybody. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend. Contend means you're in a battle. Remember last week we went over to strive? It means agonizimo, to agonize, to work, strive. Jesus says strive as a Christian. This verse says contend, earnestly contend. As a Christian, we're going to have spiritual battles. Maybe you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like praying, or you don't want to read your Bible. Or maybe you have just a, a sour attitude that day. A lot of times, that's the flesh coming out, and it's battling in the spiritual world. And sometimes it's from us. Sometimes it's from demonic forces. But we can always go to the Lord. God is greater. Greater is he that is in you than is in the world. And we can take that to the bank. We can always rely on the Holy Spirit to help us. Jesus loves us. And the Father, he's our daddy. We can go to him with any of our needs. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the, these wonderful passages that deal with false prophets. And, and Lord, they are wicked wolves or ravening wolves. And they're trying to do harm to your kingdom. But Lord, your word says the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel. And Lord, the gospel is the power of God. It's the power of you unto salvation. Jesus, please give us opportunities to witness this week. Thank you that we were able to look at your word today. And bless all the saints in this room. Let them have a good week. Let them be able to make all of their appointments. And Lord, just let them be full of life and enjoy themselves this week. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen.